Good morning. I am in John 8, um, and we are actually just marching through, sort of rolling through the Gospel of John. If you're new here or you've never been with us before, we're just taking it chunk by chunk um, and, and looking at the Scripture. And we do something that, I don't know, maybe is, is different from the way um, some people preach or talk at church, but we really want to get out of the way, even get me out of the way, and let the Spirit of Jesus speak to us in and through the Word, right? That's, that's the idea. Um, and so as we are going through, we're, we're in John um, 8 this morning, and you know, Daniel actually mentioned it sitting up here, but there's a little bit of a shift that's happened because in the first number of chapters of John, we've been talking about Jesus um, in many ways as the great I am. So we've been looking at how Jesus introduced himself um, as uh, God. And I'm, I'm shifting us just a hair because there's something he begins to open up from here to the point in John where he goes to the cross and is crucified. But he begins to open up this idea of how he as human Jesus, now Jesus is both fully God and fully man, but how he as human Jesus relates to God the Father. Okay? And so one of the things we're looking at and, and even attempting to let the Holy Spirit search and sift our hearts and then bring us revelation on is how do we know the God that Jesus knew? How do we as humans right now, 2022, walk out our faith knowing the Father that Jesus knew? So we're, we're sort of digging in that context and um, we're, we're heading towards um, John 8, which is a, it's a really powerful, beautiful, fabulous story. Um, it's about a woman who was caught in adultery. We're going to read it here in a minute. And it's about a bunch of religious people and it's about some stones, I was working with stones this week. Some of you know I'm a landscaper. So like rocks and dirt and plants and you know, that's my native language. And it, this week as we were, um, were moving rock and the, so the, the grinding uh, sound of steel hitting the rock, the shovels or the tractor and the moving of the rock and then the dropping of the rock and the recognition of what happens to your own hand if it gets under the rock. And, and so you, you have to understand something that when I'm preaching something, before I preach it, I live in it and under it. You follow me? So I'm sitting here and as we're getting ready to even look at this passage, I'm, I'm under the passage. I'm attempting to even position my life, if you will, under the holy overshadowing of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Listen to what is being said and then understand and grasp it so that when I step up here, I can actually call you all into another step in your own faith journey. Does that make sense? So what's happening inside of me is I'm, listen, I'm, I'm listening these rocks clang and we're putting them down and we're moving them around. And I'm just imagining what this woman who is about to get hit with all these rocks must be feeling. That's what we're about to find out in, in, in John 8. I'm imagining what is it that she must be feeling. And then you get this Jesus who shows up onto the scene and the Jesus knows this Abba, God, Father, kind, gentle, patient. And he's introducing not only to the woman, uh, but to the religious leaders, to all of Israel, and then to all of us as believers for all time, who this God is. That's what's just so profound in this thing. And it occurred to me that for most of us as believers, it probably doesn't matter if God is all-knowing or all-powerful. 
if he is not all good? Let me say it again. It probably doesn't matter to any of us if God is all-knowing or all-powerful if he is not all good. So we're going we're gonna to wrestle uh, with that, even in our hearts this morning. And if you don't know this Jesus, then I would invite you to just ask him, Lord, if you're real, would you speak to me today? Would you reveal yourself to me? So let's turn to the scriptures in John 8, and let's get to know the father that Jesus knew. I'm going to start in verse, it's actually, it's verse 53, but then it quickly goes to verse 2. So this is a, this is a funny little passage. Um, and I, I guess I should say for those of you who are, you know, real Bible scholars or real whatever, you study the scriptures, but um, this passage um, has been lost in certain early manuscripts. And so there's a big fuss over it. Where did it go and where should it be? I'm not sure if it was exactly in this spot in John or if it was in one of the other gospels, but here is what I know unequivocally with absolute no doubt whatsoever that from Genesis to Revelation, this passage reflects the character of not only this God, but this Jesus. That's what's reflected here. So you can rest, whether it should have been a couple chapters earlier or later, this is um, part of the canon, which just means the big, the big uh, God-inspired, God-breathed scripture given to us, letter, letter to us as believers. Okay, so let's start reading. Eight, um, really verse 53, depending on how your Bible is numbered. Then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to preach them. Quick reminder, but in rabbinic tradition, a place of authority is not standing on a stage, it is not standing up, it is actually seated. So when someone uh, sat down to speak, a hush fell over the crowd. That's kind of the way it, it worked, almost opposite of the way we are here in America. Verse 3, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Okay, open that just a second. So Jesus is teaching, right? Like I'm standing up here teaching. And what happens? Interruption, yeah. They, they brought in a woman caught in adultery. First of all, it's interesting to me that, that the man, you know, takes two, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but they drag her in, so it wouldn't be unlike we're standing here preaching today, we're standing here sharing the word, or when they were in worship, and all of a sudden some religious people drag somebody up in front and begin to shout and yell and interrupt everybody. You hear that? Like, like feel for a second the absolute brutality of that. Public shaming, public humiliation. The teachers of the law and Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. I'm like, by herself? Is this thing a whole setup? Like what? I mean, you know, I don't know. Don't know. In the law of Moses, or in the law, Moses commanded us to... 
Like, like feel that for just a second. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this as a question, or they were using this question as a trap. Let me help myself out, thank you. I knew I was having trouble. <laughs> they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So, so what is the woman at this point? Bait, yeah, she is just being used. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. But, but get that, feel that, and understand it. Do they care about this woman? Okay. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus, I love when the Bible says, but God, or then God, or but Jesus, because you know something like this about face is about to happen. This total shift, total changeover. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. I mean, you have to get how like, in this whole situation, like everyone's on pins and needles. They have butterflies in their stomach. What in the world is even happening? There was, Jesus was teaching. A woman's been brought in. Public shame, public humiliation, public accusation. There's secret motives going on in the hearts and minds of the religious people. They're after him. They're attempting to trap Jesus, which we'll talk about in a minute. And what does Jesus do? Like almost ignores them. If I, could, if I could be in any of the biblical narratives or moments, I would actually love to be in this one and stand and watch. When I get to heaven, this is one of the things, I'm going to go, Lord Jesus, can I, can I go see that? What happened? Can I like sit there? And maybe in that moment, I'll have a sense of his presence and who he is so fully permeating my entire being. I won't even need it. But from this side of eternity, I can't wait to ask him that question. Can I go there? Can I sit and watch you bend down and defy? Like we get this Western idea. I think it's, it's somewhat American, somewhat it's Western, but we get this idea that Jesus is weak or he's um, not a man of courage or strength. Or um, I, I, it's just this thing that creeps in because we think kindness or graciousness or humility or meekness is somehow weakness. But, but what actually you begin to see here is Jesus begins to call these religious leaders into the arena and Jesus not only does not shy away from conflict he hits it head on and he's doing it right here let's keep reading Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger when they kept on questioning him so is Jesus answering them Fully ignoring them. Like, get that. Understand this, Jesus. He's ignoring them. He is, this is not a, um, this is a full confrontation without words at this moment. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then what do you do? He stooped down again. I can only imagine at this moment, what you begin to hear is actually this. Because it says that this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. 
the older ones first. How about that? Man, when I was 18 or 19, I was perfect. I mean, I had my mess together. I knew I was going to be the best dad ever and the best husband ever and the best. I mean, I was going, I had it all figured out. In fact, if you want, I can take you back and we can find that Michael and he can answer all your questions. He can tell you everything. He can, I mean, it's, he, he knows. And I'm 41 now and I'm like, Lord Jesus, help me. If you're still here and you know everything, we're sorry for you. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> the older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. What's she feeling in that moment? Shame, scared, embarrassed, hated, despised, worthless. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, <clears throat> woman, I love Jesus' questions, woman, where are they? And I bet he let it hang for a minute. Has no one condemned you? I'd love to know her voice tone on the response here. What, what, what this must have been like when she said, no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we unpack these scriptures that you would find us in the scriptures, that you would speak to us, that you would let us as your people know this God of heaven that releases sinners, that sets people free, that covers our shame, that drives away our oppressors, that protects us from being fed to evil people. Father, can we know this God? Amen. I've, if I was transparent a second, I have found myself as every character in this story. And I'd invite you to begin to do the same. Here's what I mean. I've been the religious person who's angry at someone else and is carrying a, just hanging on to it. In fact, total truth, I'm praying this week going, Father, how do I preach this? How do you want me to share it? What's, and guess what he showed me? There's two people. I just felt him nudge my heart. There's two people you need to go back to because you're carrying. And what do you need to do, Michael? Don't you dare get up on that stage and preach. I'm going to be inviting you to drop some stones today. So get ready. He invited me to do the same. But I found myself in the seat of the religious people who had stones to throw. I found myself as the woman who was ashamed, embarrassed, caught, exposed, felt publicly humiliated. And now I'm occasionally finding myself in the seat of where Jesus is sitting, inviting other people to drop their stones. If you're like me, you may have run the gamut also, but I'd invite you this morning to actually ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you speak to my heart? And would you reveal even where I am? Would you let the word sift me this morning and speak to my heart? Amen. Okay.
All right. So let's open this thing up. We're going to um, try to shift through a few things, kind of um, waffle through it. This isn't clean and clear, like three points and we're done. But there's some things that I want you to notice or point out as we, as we get to the kind of crescendo of what I think Jesus is doing here. So uh, the first thing that I would love for you to see is that um, the first thing I think God wants us to see in and through this text is many of us view God like these religious men. You hear me? out to get you, um, angry at us, um, waiting for us to fail, um, just like waiting for us to mess up because, you know, then they're going to get us. And, and I've actually just wrestled this week, like, Lord, why is it easier for us as humans to um, see you that way than to see you as this good, great, gracious, kind, heavenly father? And one of the things I wondered, and I don't know if it's fully true, it may be true for you, I think it's a bit true for me, but if I can um, make God's acceptance of me based on what I do and don't do, guess who's in control? If, it's, if, if, if God's acceptance or rejection of me has nothing to do with Michael, what I've done, what I've failed to do, my record, how good I am, what I did yesterday, what I did 10 years ago, or what I'm going to do in 10 years, it, and I am completely what? <clears throat> Out of control. I mean, it squarely puts God fully in control, which probably grates against most of our Western American thinking. You follow me? Okay. So there's a dangerous lie that I think is being perpetuated here by the Pharisees. And it's this, I don't know, I don't know if it's uniquely Western. I don't know if it's because of our American even sort of business model or idea. Um, but, but it's this idea that God's love and forgiveness is a commodity exchanged for our good performance. Let me say it again. It's this idea that God's love, his kindness, his graciousness, his forgiveness is a commodity that we work really, really hard for. And then we exchange it. Um, we exchange our performance uh, for his love, grace, and forgiveness. You follow me? It's like, it's this subtle, seductive thing that's in American church and society. We all probably fall into it at moments, but it's like, this is what church is about. That's why Christianity is classified as a religion. It's, it's, Christianity really is not a religion at all because he's not calling us to do anything. Did this woman actually do anything in the moment? Now you gotta get that. Did she change the way she was dressed? Could she go back and change what she did? Did she change what she said? Maybe she, there was something in her attitude that shifted. We don't know. But there is nothing that this woman did at any point in there that deserved uh, or, or was her good behavior that she could perform in exchange for God's love and acceptance. So what I think Jesus begins to wrestle out here is, is this whole um, thought that, and it's even an invitation to the, to the Pharisees, because I think as he confronts them, which is what this is, this is a... Um, a brutal, um, almost nonverbal confrontation with the Pharisees. But I am convinced that even his confrontation with them is not only an invitation for this um, woman who's been caught into the graciousness of the Lord, into the kindness of the Lord, but it's also an invitation for the Pharisees. Like, you got to get that. The heart of Jesus is to invite those religious people into the same freedom that he's inviting this woman into. The problem is they're so self-righteous, they can't what? Can't see it. Can't hear it. Okay. <clears throat> 
what Jesus is beginning to offer uh, this woman, the Pharisees, all Israel, and then you and I, is you cannot earn or perform or be good enough or whatever to, uh, to earn the love of this kind, gracious, gentle father. So let's kind of meander through this story. Let's continue and see how he'll shatter sort of this lie. The second thing that I want you to notice, and I've made mention of it, but is that Jesus does not avoid conflict. Like we run from conflict, do we not? Like we run from it. But what you begin to see here is Jesus is actually using the conflict as a point of invitation, not only to the woman, but to the Pharisees to invite them into deeper um, revelation of who he is, of who this father is, deeper surrender to uh, this God, and then into the revelation of the kindness and graciousness of God. And yet they can't see it, can't hear it. They miss it. The next thing that I think is at least worth beginning to talk about here, and I can't fully cover this subject, it's so huge, but Jesus begins to introduce a concept of God the authoritarian, um, and the Pharisees are operating out of this context of who God is as an authority. So put simply, Jesus is representing um, God and authority, and then the Pharisees are representing an authority. So, so the authority coming uh, from the Pharisees um, it's like, it's a critical authority, it's angry, it's fear-based, it's a magnifying glass just looking for failure in our own lives. It's a, um, it, it, it is this, um, it, it's like, y'all hear me? You, can, you, you get that? Like, like the authority that these religious people are representing is actually breaking the back and the spirit of the nation of Israel. That's what's happening. And that's why Jesus comes to actually um, dethrone them, break the back of this religious system, fulfilling the Old Testament covenant and calling people into this um, system where you simply receive the goodness of Jesus. Like it's, it's, it's a little bit uh, revolutionary. It's like, hang on, I don't have to do anything? No, you can't. So the, the, the authority that Jesus begins to even introduce is this um, obligation or calling or heart of a God who wants to heal, of a God who wants to restore, a God who wants to lift, a God who wants to bless, a God who wants to transform, a God who wants to send, a God who wants to give you purpose, a God who wants to not just save you from hell for eternity, but rather he wants to get heaven into you now so that you can experience the life-giving presence of Jesus in this moment, um, practicing his presence throughout the day through, as you go along. So this, this heart of God is, authority is actually something that is meant to lift, bless, send, perpetuate, and the authority of the Pharisees is actually this authority that condemns, that judges, that pushes people down, um, that, that even brutalizes them. You, you see the difference? So you got to begin to recognize that uh, authority um, in many ways, when people get into religious authority, we can't stand the way churches do it. Come on, be honest. And the reason is because their authority is oftentimes like the Pharisees and it's seen as controlling, hurting, um, pinching, pushing down, depressing, whatever, instead of this God-given authority that God is representing Yahweh God to be where he wants to lift, um, restore, heal, elevate, send, give purpose. I mean, that's what he's doing with this woman. It's, it's, it's like whoa, profound. 
The next thing that I think you need to understand here is the Pharisees are absolutely brutal to this woman. I, I would venture they don't even know this woman's name. You know, typically you, when, when a, any situation happens, any wrong happens, someone who's tender and gracious is going to deal with the wrong in the context it was in, Right? Someone who's going to take that wrong and parade it in front of a bunch of people is there is a brutal, angry, hard-heartedness that is almost scary to interrupt the Lord Jesus, to interrupt his teaching, and to embarrass this woman with public humiliation. That's absolutely against the heart of God. And the Jesus, this is the Jesus that covers this woman, that protects this woman. So the other thing that I want you to understand is verse 6. It says they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So let's, let's talk about that trap for just a minute. They're, they're, what they've got Jesus on um, is truly the horns of a dilemma. You, you know what I mean by that? So, so Jesus, what, what they've, and I think this was like hatched in the back hallways of the Pharisees, wherever they're hanging out, but I think they came up with this plan and, and here's, here's the dilemma. Here's the, what they have caught Jesus in the middle of. If Jesus says, um, to stone the woman, now Jesus has got this reputation as a friend of sinners, a friend of publicans, a friend of the peasants, a friend, you know, he's feeding them. If he says to stone the woman, what happens to his reputation? Now, Rome has the um, keys and they've locked down capital punishment in Israel at this time. So the Israelites were not allowed to do any capital punishment apart from Rome. So not only would they get, if, if, they said, if Jesus said, stone the woman, then all the commoners would turn against Jesus. But then Jesus would have committed high treason against Rome and they'd have reason to do what? Kill him. They could take him then to the Roman authorities and the Romans would kill him, which is what they were after. So they've caught Jesus between this side of the, the dilemma. Now, if come over to this side of the dilemma. If Jesus says, uh, don't stone her, they have um, found publicly, because remember, there's this huge crowd around there in the middle of the temple courts. In fact, 8 verse 20 says they're in the treasury or the, the court of women, which is the outer part of the temple. Um, so if, if Jesus says, don't stone her, What's Jesus in violation of? The law of Moses. Again, they have reason to take him to Rome and do what? Ask him to be crucified, ask him to be killed. So they are like, they're, they're thinking they're so smart and they got this thing together. So no matter what Jesus does, they've got a way, no matter which way he pivots or goes, what's gonna happen? They're gonna kill him. They think they're so smart. Okay, so let's visit, just as we're navigating through this story this morning, let's visit the drawing with his finger in the sand. There's not a lot of theologians that speak to this. Um, some of this is, is my opinion. But remember that Jesus is speaking in this moment to who? Pharisees, teachers of the law. Okay. The Pharisees and the teachers of law, the law would have spent their entire life studying the what? The Old Testament. That's right. Okay. So when Jesus bends down with his finger, I think that there are two things that immediately come into the mind 
of the Pharisees. Thing number one is in Daniel 5. I'm not going to go there, but if you want to make a note, um, there is a Babylonian king. And the Babylonian king is throwing a big party. It's in the, it's in the book of Daniel. And um, a hand, probably the hand of God or the hand of an angel, actually comes in. And the finger of the hand writes on the wall. Like, really? And, and what that finger actually says is, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. You have been weighed in the scales and you have been found wanting. Your kingdom is being torn away from you today. That's what it says. So I think the first thing that Jesus is actually saying to them is, that's why I'm telling you that this is not like weak Jesus. This is Jesus bending down with the full like, like discipline, judgment, whatever you want, wrath almost of God, and he's drawing in the sand. And I think what he's doing is simultaneously issuing a warning to the Pharisees and an invitation. You follow me? So he is bending down, and so what is immediately in their minds is, book of Daniel, hand of God shows up, writes on the wall. So we have the Jesus, hand of God, writing in the sand. And then the other thing that I think would have immediately gone through the Pharisee's mind is, in Deuteronomy 9, it actually says, the Lord gave me two stone tablets, this is Moses, the Lord gave me, Moses, two stone tablets inscribed by the finger of God. So I think when these Pharisees see Jesus in this moment, he's caught on this, this dilemma that they've set up for him. He bends down. They are recognizing, and I think he's even saying to them, I am God. So what's, what's rolling through these Pharisees' mind is this huge internal conflict and revelation that is both a warning and an invitation. And I think one of the hardest, saddest things to me in the New Testament is so many of the religious leaders absolutely refuse. They refuse to respond to the kindness and graciousness and gentleness of this loving Jesus representing this loving Father God. And so they get to experience the judgment and discipline. It's like, wow. I see Jesus is actually saying here, not only... Is this woman not the one I am most frustrated, disappointed? But it's you. It's like. I think the other thing that begins to unfold here is. Jesus so clearly believes in the transformation of the human life. You know, he's, he's, he's believing that this woman can be resurrected and transformed. And I'm convinced that in his kindness and graciousness, he is offering that same type of heart transformation to these religious people. It's amazing. There's an author I like by the name of Dallas Willard. And Dallas writes this in one of his books, but he says, the process of spiritual formation in Christ, the process of spiritual formation in Christ is about progressively replacing destructive ideas with the ideas that fill the mind of Christ himself. Spiritual formation in Jesus is a total replacement or interchange of our ideas with Like last week, we actually talked about, Jesus said, I don't do anything except what I see the Father 
do. And Jesus is inviting us into that same level of intimate connection where we're, we are experiencing and day by day following, experiencing the transformed life. And I'm convinced that Jesus is actually inviting even those angry Pharisees into this deal where he's offering to scrub their idea of this angry, um, performance-driven God that's out to get them and replace it with this kind, gracious, heavenly Father. That's what he's offering them. And they refuse. I think one of the things I love here is I don't think Jesus is simply attempting to blast these religious leaders with the knowledge that they already fully possess, which is they are miserable, wretched sinners in their heart. Rather, what he is doing to them is he he is inviting both them and the woman into the possibility of this sort of now almost like unglimpsed revelation that in Jesus, you can not only leave your life of sin, but you can actually become saints. You can become sons and daughters. Now, does that mean you're perfect? Absolutely not. Don't think for a minute. I'm not saying that. But you can begin to see yourself as a son, as a daughter, as a saint, as made new. He's given you a new heart. He's given you a new life. You're in the process of experiencing the transformed life. And Jesus is so clearly declaring that he can transform this woman's life. He can transform these religious people. He can transform all of Israel. And he can transform humankind forever and ever if we're willing to come to him and begin to ask. It's humbleness of heart and, and um, humbleness of heart posture before God to begin to go, who are you? Will you show me and will you allow me to walk this journey out with you? Okay, so let's, let's shift here a second and let's, let's deal with these stones head on for just a second. So I think this will help us kind of tie this thing together. Question, rhetorical question. Were the religious leaders technically right that the woman ought to die for her sin? Yes. Yes. Should the man have died too? Rhetorical question. Was the self-righteousness of the guys that were trying to catch Jesus less evil than the woman's adultery. Like, go there a second. This this busts all up into our, like, American hierarchy of sin, and we love to do this in church because we're like, well, I don't struggle with that like those people. Those, did you see those people? But, but get this just a second. I think that what God is actually revealing in this moment is probably one of the deadliest and sickest things that you can labor under is self-rightness. Like it is like, what he was drawing in the sand was a message for the religious people, not for the woman. The woman was already under judgment. She was about to die. She was facing it. She was feeling it. She was humiliated. She was embarrassed. She couldn't believe where she was. She'd been caught in the very act. But it's these religious people who are pompous and think they have it all together. And they're pointing the finger and they're trying to kill Jesus. And he's going, da, 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 da. Okay, let's open another question, rhetorical question number three here. Some have suggested that in this passage, and this is so important, this is so important. Father, let us get this. 
that Jesus is going soft on sin? Is Jesus going soft on sin? So let's wrestle with that for just a minute. Many of us, uh, in fact, most of the Christian world tends to believe in more of a God of kindness um, and grace um, or more in a God of like justice and wrath. You know what I'm saying? You, you could probably go through your Christian friends and you can go, oh, you know, they, they kind of lean towards this God of grace. And some, oh, they lean towards that performance God of wrath. And you, you, you get what I'm saying? You follow me? Okay. Go here. Is one right as opposed to the other? Mm, no, that's right. But this is so challenging because it's so much easier for us because we're such one-dimensional human thinkers and we don't think about the kingdom of God being so much bigger and so much broader and so much further. And so we would prefer to either park in just the God of grace or just the God of wrath. And I want to tell you that this God is the same God and his justice or his wrath or his discipline or his holiness is always contained in the bookends of his grace. Okay, always, it doesn't, that doesn't nullify one just because of the other. No, 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 they're one in the same. And God's discipline is always contained in the bookends of his grace. How does he, does he present a, a um, discipline or judgment to the woman? What's he say to her? The first thing he says to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? What's he offer her? unmerited, like mind-blowing, like scandalous grace. But then what's he follow it with? Oh, go and sin no more. That's a tall order. I'd be terrified if Jesus said that to me today. Is there hope for me? Okay, then how is it that Jesus can say Neither do I condemn you. This is so important. I think it's the crux of this whole thing. How is it that Jesus can say, he says it, verse 11, then neither do I condemn you. I want you to zoom out of this story in context for just a minute. Right outside the old city walls in Jerusalem, even to this day, outside the old city walls, there is a place that was a rock quarry. What do they get out of rock quarries? So when people were guilty of something and they needed capital punishment as described in the judicial law, that's an important distinction. I'm not going to get into it this morning. But the judicial law of the Old Testament, and they're living in Jerusalem, where might they take them? Right outside the walls. They don't want to, they're not going to kill somebody inside the temple or inside the city. They're going to go outside the walls, and they're going to go to the rock quarry. Well, this rock quarry was a hill, and it had a name. It's called Golgotha. What Jesus is so profoundly offering to this woman, and not just to this woman, 
but to the Pharisees, to the nation of Israel, and to every one of us who would be called kids of God. What he is saying, he's not soft on sin, he's actually saying, in the fullness of time, I am going to go to a hill called Golgotha. And I am going to absorb and take into my body the stones that you deserve. See, God's wrath is fully extinguished on that rock quarry hill. And so Jesus, this is not a cheap answer when he looks at her and says, neither do I condemn you. No, 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 no. He is standing up and he's looking at this woman in front of him and it's with the full theological weight and revelation that he is about to die. And so when he looks at her and says, neither do I condemn you, it is with the full weight and revelation that he is gonna actually go and receive those rocks unto himself, receive the wrath of God and the full separation from God so that he can make a way for broken people People like this woman, like these Pharisees, like the nation of Israel, and like you and I. And he goes, I am going to take the weight of your sin, and I'm going to absorb into my very body the wrath that you deserve so that you can live. Not only is he not going soft on sin, he is saying, I am and I am paying it all. And I am making a way for you to go free without condemnation. And not only that, I am making a way for you to experience true life transformation. Where you don't have to be the person you used to be. Isn't that good? Okay. I have some application points, but Daniel, if you want to come on back out, Missy. There's something so powerful here, guys. Like the heart of God. If you can begin to see and understand the heart of God to extinguish and make a way so you don't have to labor under his wrath. It's, neither do I condemn you. Okay. Let's make some application here. Some of you are probably like the woman, like right now, today. And you're probably laboring under shame. I've spent a lot of years living in shame. You believe that? Some of you need, you may have been in Jesus for years, but you've never fully grasped that in him, he covers your shame. Like go all the way back to the garden in Genesis. They sinned. They were naked and ashamed. They made some leaf outfits. Jesus came in and killed an animal, made a leather skin, shed blood, foretelling what? The shedding of blood that would happen on Golgotha, on that rock quarry hill. And he covered them. Some of you today need to let go of the shame of the past. The past belongs where? You need to do an about face and get on with where he's called you to go. There's some of us here that are probably like me. 
and you're carrying around a what? Maybe it's against your spouse, friend, brother, sister, neighbor, old guy living next to you. Come on. I'm not going to drop it. But he's calling you to drop the stone, to forgive in your own heart, to let go because Jesus forgave who? Right? If you can't change your emotions because you're so angry, that's okay. Here's how you do it. Lord Jesus, I'm so full of anger and hatred at that person, I want to throw stones at them. And I can't change the way I feel. But I'm going to appropriate the power of the cross of Christ and I'm just going to say, would you empower me to forgive them? And then let the Holy Spirit work out your emotions. Your emotions aren't you. Stop being jerked around by them, you hear me? Come on. Some of you might need to read Matthew 18 and someone's legitimately thrown a stone at you. And you may need to go to them and say, hey, when you did or when you said or in this situation, I interpreted what you did as... Maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but when this happened, I felt, you hear what I'm saying? Don't go like an arrogant punk. I mean, really, you threw a stone. No, 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 go low and go, man, I, maybe I misinterpreted this, but when this happened, I felt, and you need to go, that's health, that's maturity. If there's someone that's like dangerous in your life, then don't go to them. You hear me, like physically dangerous or whatever, but all others who are in the body of Christ, maybe they're at a different church. Maybe it's an elder from the past. Maybe it's an old pastor. Like God may be calling you to empty your pockets of some old stones. Because what do these things do? Oh, man. I spent Wednesday moving stones. They're heavy. Some of you may be so busy judging, policing, and carrying big stones around all the time that you're not able to see your own sin like the Pharisees. And maybe there's a little crack in your heart or in your armor this morning. You're like, could I be? Am I a Pharisee? The answer is probably a little. Me too. Let him reveal it to you. And find the forgiveness of Jesus so that you can put down your stone. And there might be some of you in the room, and there could be some of you even online, who you've never heard of a God who is gracious and kind and wants to cover your shame, wants to protect you and love you and lead you and provide for you, give you a hope give you a future, fill you with his joy. And if you've never known that God and you want to surrender your life to him, I would love to pray for you after the service or at the picnic or if you're online, put it in the chat. We'll get in touch with you. If we could walk from this place knowing the freedom of the Lord, the joy of our salvation, like Daniel said at the beginning, the if this God, this Father is so loving and is for us, who and what could ever 
stand against us. You hear me? This is transformative. Prayer team, if you don't mind coming up, and the rest of us, let's stand together. We're going to close in a song. If you want to come down here and just worship, we got this big, awesome, open front thing. You can. If you want to come down here and just say, Lord Jesus, I, you got to deal with my heart. If you want to come down for special prayer, if you want to come down or surrender your life to Jesus, we'd love to do that. None of these people are particularly special, nor am I in of themselves, but who lives in them? Jesus. So come on down and get some prayer if you want something. Father, as we worship, Lord, would you meet some of us with this revelation of who you are as Father? as God, as lover, as provider, as the sacrificial lamb that paid it all so that we could live. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me all my days. I've been held in your hands from the moment that I wake up. To lay in my head, I will sing the goodness of God. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good with every breath.
the joy of our salvation. Can we say that together? Lord, would you restore to us the joy of our salvation? Ready? One, two, three. Lord, would you restore to us the joy of our salvation? As you leave this place, leave asking for an increased revelation of this kind, gracious, loving Father that Jesus knew. And don't settle for anything else. Not now. Not ever. If you need more prayer, come on up here. We're hanging out. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I'm going to be right here. I would love to pray with you. This God is real. This God knows your name and he loves you. Go in peace.